then examining the Bahu Pastuka Sutta, the discourse on many kinds of elements in the Majjhima Now we've been explaining the Buddha's teaching of Patita Samuppada, dependent origination. And last time we discussed, completed the discussion of the entire chain of conditions going from aging and death all the way back to Abhijja or ignorance as the fundamental root cause. <coughs> and we saw that this sequence of 12 conditions, even as interpreted by the suttas, according to the suttas, extends over three lifetimes the way the particular sequence of factors is set out, it involves a succession of three lifetimes. So this sequence makes plain what we can call the causal or the generative causes at the root of the round of samsara, the round of birth and death. <coughs> the fundamental purpose of the Buddha when he was seeking enlightenment was to find a way out of suffering, out of dukkha. And the most universal manifestation of suffering is this round of repeated birth and death. And so in order to show the way to liberation, in order to find the way to liberation, from the round of birth and death, the Buddha had to find, to discover the causes that keep the round of birth and death turning. What are the hidden springs of this cycle? And as he went back in tracing one condition after another, he came upon this series of 12 terms which shows how the round of birth and death continues over three lifetimes. Now in the commentaries, the works like Visuddhimagga, in the Abhidhamma commentaries, it's common to divide the twelve factors very neatly in terms of three lifetimes. This has some legitimacy, but if we just take it very literally, it's very misleading, and then it leads people to protest how can <laughs> they find different faults with this explanation? How could the teacher Samuppada be extended over three lives? Well, first let me show how it's done. Uh, so when the factors are divided according to three lives in this way, first one has the past causes, that is ignorance and the karma formations, then the present effects, that is the factors consciousness, name and form, six sense bases, contact, feeling. Okay, then the present causes, craving, clinging, and becoming, and the future effects, birth, and then old age and death, too. So when this division is made, and some like, critics of the traditional interpretation raise the objection, how can you say that ignorance just belongs to the past life? How can you say old age and death just belongs to the future life? 
So if one interprets it in that way, very literally, then it becomes kind of reductian, that absurd, and becomes meaningless. But rather we have to understand that this arrangement or division into the three lives is really just done as a matter of convenience or let's say a partial oversimplification for the purpose of making clear a kind of skeletal structure. It's like the any building has a skeleton which supports it, but one shouldn't mistake the scaffolding or the skeleton of the building for the building itself. The skeleton is just the structure which supports the building. And so this way of explaining the 12 factors in terms of three lives is just a convenient device for, for making clear the causal structure of the round of becoming. But in actuality, we have to understand that whenever ignorance and formations are present, we also have craving, clinging, and becoming. In fact, the past life, when we were living it, was then the present life. So there had to be present craving, clinging, and becoming. <coughs> and then in the present effects, what undergoes birth, old age, and death is just consciousness and name and form. So we can move, we can move craving, clinging, and becoming into the past causes too, and we can take ignorance and the formations, the karmic formations, and move them into the present so they become present causes. We can move birth, old age, and death into present effects, because we were born in this present life, we grow old and die. And when we take birth in the future life, what is born? Consciousness, name, and form. And once there's name and form, then there will be six senses. When there's six senses, then there'll be contact. When there's contact, then there's feeling. And when there's feeling accompanied by ignorance, then there's more craving and clinging. <coughs> so that is why one actually gets in the past not just two causes, but five causes, five things that function as causes. There's ignorance. When there's ignorance, then one experiences feelings with ignorance. And through the experience of feelings, then there will occur craving, then what clings to the pleasant feeling flees or is repelled by the painful feeling. And so that's clinging. Then through that clinging, one engages in various volitional activities, that is becoming. So one has these five causes operating in the past. <coughs> Similarly, in the future, in the present effects, one has the five effects consciousness through feeling, since this is what undergoes birth, aging, and death. Okay, then in the present, when there's craving, clinging, craving and clinging, what lies behind that is ignorance. And then that activity of becoming, that is just the volitional formations themselves. And then in the future, when one is born, 
then there comes into being consciousness together with name and form and through that everything else arises so we get five causes and actually five causes of the past five present effects five present causes five future effects so 20 there's really 20 factors all together So you can see that it's even quite a bit more complicated than in the simplistic understanding of the traditional interpretation. But in reality, it's really far more complex even than this explanation. Because we shouldn't think that, say, the present effects and the present causes are somehow separated from each other by a very neat time barrier or some kind of logical barrier so that at a particular time present causes are occurring at another time present effects are occurring it's not as neat as that but rather I think the way we have to understand it is somewhat like this what is meant by time? the Buddha calls the law time the beginning of the beginning of the time. Timeless in its color. But anyway, what I meant is that it's beginningless. Okay, we have this process of becoming going on without any beginning that is represented by the, it's like a great river flowing, we might say. Going on through beginningless time. And then within the stream of becoming, we can just sort of conceptually distinguish these two phases of the active phase and the resultant or passive phase. But they're always interacting with each other, always the extreme of experience that's always oscillating back and forth between a causal phase and a resultant phase. For example, now say one experiences particular feelings. This can come about Okay, let us say we'll begin at the beginning of life with birth, the descent, uh, the rising of consciousness in the womb, the forming of the organ or organism. That is the result of some previous karma, the previous causes. Now, once life begins, then there's a constant, there's a constant impingement of experience, which is due to the ripening of old karma. Okay, when that old karma ripens, then one experiences particular feelings, happiness, sorrow, pleasure, pain. Okay, this is all coming through the maturation of past karma. <clears throat> then as soon as that feeling is experienced, then one reacts in some way. Now one is create, setting in motion the present causal process. If there's ignorance, then one reacts with craving, with clinging, then one engages in more activity, which is to build up more becoming in the future, more birth, aging and death in the future. But one's present activity doesn't bring results only in the next life, but the present activity, that gives the opportunity for more old karma to ripen right here and now. And so that old karma ripens, that is present effects ripening right 
as a result of our own decisions, our own activity. And then when those results are experienced, then there comes new activity in response to that. So there's this constant oscillation back and forth between causes and effects. So we really have, I would say, the whole, all the 12 factors are, I would say, they're encompassed in consciousness. In fact, we might say the envelope in which this whole stream of becoming takes place is vinyana consciousness. But there's no event, no experience, which is without consciousness. And then within that envelope of consciousness, everything that occurs is occurring to, you could say, to nama rupa. It's all just the play of name and form. But within that play of name and form, we can pinpoint these more specific factors which exercise important causal roles, especially ignorance, craving, clinging, and karmic activity, the sankharas. And it's through the combination of these defilements, ignorance, craving, clinging, with the karmic activities, the sankharas, that we build up the particular form of existence that we will inherit in the future. That's why the Buddha says that we are the architects of our own destiny. Because it's through our own karma that we build up our future. Okay, so now <coughs> when the Buddha gives this exposition of dependent origination, he takes the forward process first, the process of causation, of forward causation, because first he wants to show what keeps the round of birth and death in motion. And so that's why he shows causal origination, dependent origination first. But always, or usually, he follows it with another formulation, just the reverse of this, which we might call dependent cessation, that is showing how the entire process of becoming comes to an end. And in the standard formula, this is done by tracing it back to the very root cause and saying that with the remainderless fading away and cessation of ignorance comes cessation of formations, cessation of formation, cessation of consciousness, with cessation of consciousness, cessation of mentality, materiality, and so on, all the way to the end, to the cessation of aging and death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. That is the cessation of this whole mass of suffering. Now, even though the Buddha has laid out this formula again in this 12-fold sequence, in practical terms, we have to understand that the real place where the round of existence is broken is the link between feeling and craving, Vedana and Tana. This is why in the Four Noble Truths, the Buddha points out craving as the root cause of suffering.
You see, we have between the present effects at the end, we have feeling. In the present causes, there's craving. And then what? The connection between them, that is really the point which pushes forward the process of becoming into another existence, into another life. So if one reacts to the feeling with craving, then the process goes forward. So the way to stop the forward movement of the process is to eliminate craving as one's automatic response to feeling. But this is very difficult because one can't just do it automatically by an act of will. You might think, make a fixed decision, a New Year's resolution, when I experience feeling, I'm not going to give rise to craving, but just by an act of will, it doesn't work. And the reason is because feeling is usually covered over with ignorance, with abhijna, with not understanding feelings as they really are, not understanding anything as it really is. So when our mind is covered up by ignorance, then even though we have firm resolution, firm decision not to act on the basis of craving, but still we see a beautiful sight, hear a beautiful sound, taste some delicious flavor, and craving has arisen. <coughs> and so the way to overcome this automatic connection between craving, between feeling and craving, is to eliminate the ignorance that covers up the feeling. And the way that is to be done is through the practice, especially of the four, we say the four foundations of mindfulness, satipatthana, or any kind of vipassana meditation. <coughs> But in fact, they say even the whole training in Buddhism, even all the Noble Eightfold Path, is in a way designed to create a chisel to cut away that connection between feeling and craving. <coughs> but the key factor of the path to be developed to break through that connection is mindfulness, to attend to the feelings with sati sampajanga, mindfulness and clear comprehension. When one attains to the feeling with mindfulness, then one doesn't react to it automatically, mechanically, but rather one just is, one is able simply to observe the feeling as it is. If it's a pleasant feeling, one observes it simply as a pleasant feeling. If it's a painful feeling, simply as a painful feeling. If a neutral feeling, simply as a neutral feeling. Then, through sampachanya, clear awareness or clear comprehension, one understands that that feeling is not to be grasped as mine and I, but one sees the feeling as something which is just 
an impermanent process. It arises from conditions, from an object, from the sense organ, from various other conditions, light and so on. It arises from conditions, it exists just a few moments, just even one moment, then it passes away. And so one sees the feeling, all feelings are impermanent. Because they're impermanent, they're not worth holding to, trying to find enjoyment out of them. In other words, they're dukkha. Really miserable or misery or suffering in this time. And because they're impermanent and unstable, we cannot grasp these feelings as mine. They're just anatta, non-self, not I, not mine. So in that way, through mindfulness and clear comprehension, one sees these three characteristics of feeling, and that way, one knocks away step by step the ignorance which is covering over the feeling. And then when ignorance is completely eliminated with the attainment of arhatship, then the whole process comes to an end. And that's the end of the whole thing. Now, from ignorance to craving, that is going in one moment. But we have the ability to cut off clinging, grasping. And to make it a little more practical for the daily life, we can shortcut it and see ignorance, feelings and craving are necessary to have a problem or dukkha. Two factors alone don't bring a problem. It needs these three factors. Whenever you sit somewhere and you have some problems, you see, there must be avidya, vedan, tanya, ignorance, feelings and craving. One alone or two alone cannot hold it as like a, you cannot have a pot on two stones, you need three stones. So this makes it easy even for us who are not always aware of the full Padikramakara to get practically with it, a little practical also. Ignorance, we should know the causes for the ignorance. Uh, that's a good question. That question actually came up last time. <coughs> that's also a very important point. Yeah, the Buddha has actually addressed that question in several sutras. There is actually two sutras which deal with it from different angles. In one sutra, this is actually spoken by Venerable Sariputta, Sariputta is explaining the twelve links of dependent origination and he comes back to ignorance and then he asks, he raises the question, what is the condition for ignorance? And then he gives the answer himself. He says the condition for ignorance are the, what's called the asabis, the taints. 
for the, you'd say, the tanks or the tankers. These are the basic, very deep underlying corruptions of the mind, the asavas. But then it's interesting. He says, and what are the asavas? There are three asavas, three tanks, three corruptions, mental corruptions. One is the corruption of sensual desire. Second, the corruption of becoming, but well that's the desire for becoming, craving for becoming, craving for more existence. And then the third pain is the pain of ignorance, which is just ignorance itself. So when we ask what are the conditions for ignorance and when we specify what those conditions are, the conditions also contain ignorance, which means that it's impossible to find any cause which is more fundamental, more primary than ignorance. It's a little bit like having, I think this is going to Nanagiri use a simile, it's like a court case in which the plaintiff, that's the one who comes up for trial, anyway the convict who's being brought up for trial is the judge himself. <laughs> so any judgment that he makes on the criminal, on the convict, will be not guilty. <laughs> this is like ignorance, when it views itself, it's ignorant of itself, and so ignorance is able to keep on going. Okay, so that's in one method of explanation. We have, okay, the pains, the condition for ignorance are the pains, and one of the pains is ignorance, and then Sariputta, again he raises the question, what are the condition, what is the condition for the taint, for the corruption, and then he says, ignorance. So ignorance conditions the taints, among which there is the taint of ignorance, and the taints of the condition for ignorance, so that it becomes like a vicious circle. So in other words, the taints are the nature of the mind. Excuse me? The taints are the nature of the mind. I say that they're not the nature of the mind because the taints can be eliminated from the mind and the mind still remains. The taints are corruptions which cover up, which say which cover up the original nature of the mind. I think here we must clear and repeat what is the mind. A little bit otherwise you get these ideas, some people get the idea that the mind is a unit. And here it is very important to see that it is not a unit. Any possibility of categorizing the atoms? Categorizing them and what's the... What are the pains in the mind? Yeah. Coming as categorized? Yeah, they are being analyzed into sensual desires. That's karma, or the karma. No, karma is really just karma rather. Then Bhavasava, that's the craving for more existence, craving for becoming, and then Avijasava, the just that's ignorance. 
Bhitti is sometimes mentioned separately as an asana, but in the sutta is usually just three asanas. Okay, that's one method of explaining the root cause of ignorance. But there's another sutta spoken by the Buddha himself, in which the Buddha is tracing a whole chain of conditions. Then he says, what is the condition for ignorance? Actually uses the expression nutriment. What is the nutriment? What is it that ignorance feeds on? Then he says, the condition for ignorance is the five hindrances. That is, five hindrances against sensual desire, ill will or hatred, dullness and drowsiness, restlessness and worry, and doubt. Then he asks, what is the condition for the five hindrances? Do you remember? Uh, the condition for the five hindrances? Yes, in that particular system. Yeah. Uh, anyway, eventually, uh, he traces it through... Anyway, he traces it through a whole chain of conditions till it eventually comes to... back to not... first, not hearing the true Dhamma not hearing the sadhamma, the good dhamma. And what is the condition for not hearing the good dhamma? Not associating with noble friends or with saintly person, sattvurisa. Then he says, what is the way to eliminate ignorance? To eliminate ignorance, one has to eliminate the five hindrances. What is the way to eliminate the five hindrances? Then, maybe through yonitomanasikara, wise attention, carrying, it goes all the way back to hearing the true Dhamma, and then hear to, in order to hear the true Dhamma, one has to associate with wise people, with saintly people, sapurisa. And so that's why in the process of the, in the, Buddhist, the structure of the Buddha's meditative path, in order to develop insight or wisdom, panya, it's panya which eliminates ignorance, in order to develop panya, insight or wisdom, one first has to eliminate the five hindrances. To eliminate the five hindrances, one has to attend wisely and carefully to one's experience, to learn how to attend wisely. Eventually, one has to learn the true Dhamma, and to learn the true Dhamma, one has to associate with saintly people, with wise people, who will teach the Dhamma. And knowing the medicine for the hindrances. Yeah. That is important. Identification of hindrances to be done through the meditation. Identification of hindrances. Yeah. The exercise for the meditation. Well, through the meditation, one gets to observe the hindrances. Here is a very dangerous situation that you are not looking for them. Why do you want to do it? No, but first, I want to say, first you have to know the hindrances, and one has to study what they are, and then one can even observe them not only in meditation itself, 
but also in one's day-to-day activities, one could see them at work. But it's in meditation that they become very clear in their subtle mode of functioning. But one has to warn not to look for them. That would be like to put the finger in a doctor. When they arise, they leave. Okay, I think if there's any questions now on Patricia Sambhupada or anything that we covered in the last three <coughs> sessions, please ask. Uh, uh, no, uh, no, 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 Exactly so, yeah. Uh, the, 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 the argument is the knowledge of the noble equal power. We say it's the noble of the, the knowledge of the four noble truths. Any further questions? Any discussions, comments? It's a vast, vast field. So maybe you think of a small little link. As Venerable Bodhi said, the battlefield for us is between feelings and craving. And the place where we can cut relatively easily is between craving and grasping. Elaborate. Where we can cut. And maybe this is the difference between the rational animal and man that we can say no. Can explain more what you mean by cutting the link between craving and feeling? We are going in front, we are passing in front of a cake shop, the beautiful birthday cakes with all sweets and so I like to have chocolate and all that. And passing and in one second from ignorance to craving it is arising in front of the shop. But I can say no when I have, when I have the, the opportunity to open the door for the, for the place to and say, okay, now, here is the, uh, the, where we can operate with knowledge, mm. with the first little knowledge. So you observe that as in down to but Not only that, because yeah. that will not help you to, to, to remove the, the craving for chocolate. Yeah. You have to go more in the field of Ashoka. You have to know where the chocolate is, no? Yeah, I don't think... It doesn't have to go to that very fine level of analyzing into elements and aggregates, but just to stop this... the tendency of a craving to mature and to think, just through understanding, especially understanding what the Buddha would say, understanding the gratification, the danger, and the escape. But here also there are two, two undogmatic ways. If there is a craving which gives rise to, to hatred, no? uh, we should be very firm and dealing yeah. with it. No? But when there is a craving which is uh, lustful, we should be utmost diplomatic and not breaking anything. Because that doesn't help. It only comes somewhere else out. It only some boring somewhere and some fever and so But when that has to be untangled diplomatically. But rut or other kind of things, out of feeling, craving for getting rid of that, you know, 
there we have to stop to use uh, almost uh, put up for instance a simple of violence to put the fellow under a piece of cloth and put him down what is it? we put him on the a man on under a piece of cloth and put him down no so in other words we put the tongue up when we are in danger of rock and keep time because that is too fast because of the two different kinds of speeds rock is speedy lost as a more much more space <coughs> So there we are operating in diplomatical way. Mm-hmm. Why is that? And then we can use this Ashuba, no? How, where are we going with this topic, no? Now we know the ignorance and the causes by ignorance. Now we should know how eliminated, how it could be eliminated. This is what we really want. Well, actually the Buddha has shown us that the whole structure of the path is the whole structure of the training, the virtue, meditation, wisdom, is all concerned with eliminating ignorance. I mean, the Buddha has laid it out so perfectly that one has to begin, one doesn't begin directly by countering ignorance because it's too difficult, ignorance is too powerful, too subtle. But you could say that ignorance manifests itself at three levels, one might say. One, the coarsest and grossest level is in terms of our actual behavior, our conduct. So how we conduct ourselves, how we act. Okay, the next the level which is subtler than that is our ordinary mental activity. And then the subtlest level, the deepest level, is our way of understanding things, our way of interpreting the world. And so the place where ignorance is hiding, you can say, is at the third level. But maybe we can consider this, maybe we use analogy. So this is like, like ignorance is like a villain, an evil tyrant who's in a castle in which there's three big walls which are protecting ignorance. He's hiding in the center of the castle. The outermost wall is conduct. That would be gross or bad conduct. Misconduct, immoral behavior. That's the, on, on the one hand we could call it the grossest wall which is protecting ignorance. On the other hand we could call it the grossest manifestation or expression of ignorance. Okay, the middle wall but the middle expression of ignorance is mental activity, our ordinary thoughts, emotions, attitudes, and so on. Then the innermost wall are our views and interpretations. On the one hand, that's the subtlest manifestation of ignorance. On the other hand, it's the subtlest layer or stratum which is protecting ignorance. And in the very center of the castle is ignorance with his two allies, craving and clinging. Okay, so the way to, when, if one tries to attack ignorance directly, it's in the sense of the spiritual suicide. It's like trying to figure out just by thinking the way to get free. Then you get philosophies of 
on the one hand, just dreamy, first the grossest level of misconduct, bad conduct, that is through observing sila, morality or virtue, training oneself in accordance with precepts, five precepts, ten precepts, the Vinaya precepts for months. <coughs> okay, when one is observing principles of good conduct, purifying one's conduct, then one has the coarsest, but in a sense you could say, one has broken through the coarsest, the outermost wall of ignorance. So now one could deal with the middle chamber, the middle wall, that is the mental activity. And that is to be done through the practice of samadhi meditation, samatha meditation. Learning to control the mind, first to observe the mind, see how the mind is functioning, then <coughs> to quiet the mind by choosing an object of concentration, then learning to focus the mind steadily on one point. Then one is able to overcome the five hindrances, that is really the troublemaker, the five, you could say those are the five hindrances and the five soldiers or gods in this particular chamber. <laughs> the, the five soldiers in the outermost layer, that would be breaking the five precepts, engaging in killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, lying, drinking, taking intoxicants. Okay, then the five soldiers in the middle chamber, that's the five hindrances, sensual desire, ill will, dullness and drowsiness, restlessness and worry and doubt. Okay, then once one has learned to control the mind, to focus the mind, to concentrate the mind, then one can start to examine things with insight. Now one comes to the third strategy, to break through the third chamber, the third, to break through the third wall and get into the third chamber. Okay, that is by practicing the asana meditation. And now here there are three soldiers that have to be vanquished. These are the three soldiers, these three soldiers are called the, the delusion of permanence, that things are permanent, lasting, the delusion of pleasure or happiness, and the delusion of self that things are really belong to the self or that things can be truly identified with the self. Then when one breaks through, defeats, knocks down, kills these three soldiers with the weapon of wisdom, panya, then one attacks, one finds, aha, now one finds ignorance, undefended, and then there comes the full knowledge of the Four Noble Truths and then ignorance just collapses. Everything over. <laughs> By these three soldiers, the uh, one which is uh, happiness, yeah, is it? Yeah. Is also combined with beauty, maybe. It's a combination. Point to put it there, yeah. Hallucination of beauty. Yeah. Yeah. When we are concentrating, our mind slowly escaping without my knowledge. 
so that and go to our loved ones and home. Yeah. So this is also one of or how to so our mind slowly yeah. escapes without yeah. our knowledge. Yeah. That when is we are concentrating. Right. When we are concentrating, yeah. our mind slowly escapes from it. Yeah. That also can give some precautions. It's a precaution. When that happens, then when the mind wanders, one just has to recognize it, then it brings the mind back to the object. Note it and bring it back. These five soldiers in the middle there, you could also call them the supporting factors mm, yeah. of the universe. They are more cooks than soldiers. <laughs> okay, then I think we should stop the evening and we'll continue next week. Now, I just want to mention that there's this book, a free distribution, the Pati Pata, about the aesthetic monks in Thailand. Is there anybody here who hasn't received a copy yet? I've distributed it earlier. This is by Achan Mun, it's by Achan Mahabur, about the style of practice of the Venerable Achan Maha, Achan Mun. I distributed some, some, excuse me? Anybody who didn't receive a copy? It's for free distribution.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.